it's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't f*** it up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What's up, muckalucks? As you can tell, I'm a little little overclimped here. I had had to move back my recording for this show because... On Monday, I was going to record with Brandon Joe Williams, so I'm still going to get you brown with. I canceled it. I've canceled it twice. He's can- no, I've canceled it three times now. He's canceled it once. And Monday, I had to cancel because my damn kids gave me a stomach flu, which had them barfing over the weekend. And of course, come Monday, I'm barfing. Horrible day. And then yesterday, I had a little minor surgery. Don't worry. Nothing uh, super special, but foreskin no longer looks like a pine cone so there you go everybody uh but feeling a little bit better now a little ice on some things doing all right but that's why the show's a little late coming out today why i'm doing the live stream today rather than yesterday and uh i'm glad glad it's today because there's some interesting happenings going on uh things i'm going to talk about today a little bit of super bowl talk a little bit of talk about the border and ukraine israel funding a little bit of talk about ivy league schools and their obsession with uh, taking away your freedoms which by the way reminds me to google this too much freedom but first things first let's talk about what just happened uh it was announced i think it was late yesterday that the bill that was put forward to fund Israel, something like $17.6 billion, got rejected by the House. Now, this is rejected for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're saying Democrats voted against it because they think it undermines the new border safety bill, you know, a bunch of nonsense. But they're saying it undermines that, this broader bipartisan, quote unquote, legislation, which, of course, also includes within it money for Ukraine, money for Israel, and what is for sure a win for Democrats on the border issue, even though they're saying, well, we're going to fund some more border wall. We're going to fund a couple of different things here. Do not be mistaken. Any emphasis on processing immigrants faster, aka giving them asylum, is a win for Democrats. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But I thought it was pretty interesting that you did have this bill fail because it goes to show you a standalone bill for Israel, which they were trying to push through because Republicans don't want to give in on the border issue so easily. Um, even that couldn't get pushed through. I don't know if I consider it a win or not. You know, uh, it's at this point in time, I still don't understand why there's not a broader conversation about why are we funding Israel at all? And Thomas Massey talked about this, I think, as did Rand Paul. Why are we funding Israel at all? They do not need our money. It is an insult to every American, the fact that we're continually giving them money, giving them armament, which is just, by the way, used to buy our weapons. So it is essentially a uh, a check to the military industrial complex here in the United States. This is where the beauty of your lobbying comes in. But still, interesting to see that fail. Now, on the broader bill that's been introduced here, as I said, they're saying, okay, well, we're building in our Ukraine funding. We're building our Israel funding, which is a bipartisan issue. It's not like that's a win for Republicans to get it in there because the Democrats have been just as insistent on funding Ukraine. I saw that Biden just tweeted something out about how defending Ukraine was a vital interest and that, you know, Putin's not going to stop, guys. Oh, really? Putin's not going to? Yeah, Putin's going to, after this elongated war where Putin is fighting Ukraine's forces, but with, you know, 
bombs, missiles, airplanes, well, not airplanes from us, but airplanes from other NATO nations being donated, our background and infrastructure supporting the satellite imagery, the locations, the pinpointing of targets, and still winning, but it's been drawn out, right? This is the whole point. Like, this is what the military industrial complex is using Ukraine for to weaken Putin, to draw out this battle, to uh, elongate the losses both to Russian and Ukrainian sides, right? An entire generation of Ukrainians are basically being wiped out. But they get to weaken Putin. And yet at the same time, despite this being quite literally what was on the docket, right? And that we've heard different generals say this. The idea here is to weaken Putin. They're telling us that somehow if Putin wins this, if we don't give more, if we don't give $100 billion more dollars to Ukraine, that Putin's going to keep going, right? He's going to keep marching across Europe. Give me a break. If the idea behind this was to weaken him, and yet he's still going to win, right? After this, after he's been, and look, he has been weakened. Russians are not going to want to march across Ukraine. It's Number one, that was never the plan for Putin. It's because of this infringement on the borders of Russia going up to the brink by NATO. But beyond that, they have no interest. They have no power. They have no ability. They have no GDP to go and march across Europe. It is fundamentally stupid to even make this point. And yet Joe Biden out there is, you know, in his senile, dementia-riddled way, somehow trying to convince us that Putin's going to go and, and become the next Hitler. It's just absurd in that space. But this bill's got $100 billion for Ukraine included in it, this border infrastructure nonsense bill. So what does it have in there that I, like I was talking about earlier, what is the big win for Democrats if this passes? Well, while they're saying we're making some concessions on border security, like a wall, well, you also have something like 4,300 more asylum judges and all this infrastructure in to give people more asylum, faster asylum, right? Now, asylum, if you've been paying attention to Europe and what is a the standard for asylum these days, this is just a Trojan horse for more mass migration. Unchecked, <laughs> virtually unchecked. Now they're saying, well, we're gonna we're gonna check it. But here's the problem. Now, I don't know if we're even to get these judges there, I don't know how much background they have on these people. I don't know what kind of research they're doing into it. But the issue here is that you've seen throughout Europe this mass migration from asylum seekers. Now, asylum seekers are coming in saying, well, I'm being discriminated against, right? It's not just asylum from war. I want to emphasize that. They've changed the definition. And there have been speeches given by numerous members of parliament in various European Union countries saying this has to stop from the UK through to like, you know, Croatia, whatever it might be. The issue here is that when you think asylum, Right immediately, you go, well, these are probably asylum seekers because their country is being torn apart by war. Uh, They're seeking asylum because of, similar to the Jews in the Holocaust, they're facing religious persecution, right? And they're seeking asylum in a place that isn't just outwardly trying to kill them. But in today's world, asylum really can cover a very wide swath of what you know, virtually any human condition. And for people that are coming from countries that probably don't have a protections put into place for all these people, like say the United States says. So let's say you're uh, claiming to be genderqueer, or let's say you're claiming to be trans or claiming to be gay. Number one, I don't know, how are these people going to cross check it, right? I don't care how many judges you put in place. The research it would take into all these people's claims to register as uh, asylum seekers when you have 
virtually everything under this omnibus umbrella of qualifies you for asylum, right? I'm being persecuted because uh, I'm Muslim. I'm being persecuted because I'm Christian. I'm being persecuted because I'm gay. I'm being persecuted because I'm a lesbian. I'm being persecuted because of the color of my skin. I'm being persecuted because I'm a woman trying to learn to read. Whatever it is, it all falls under the same banner. Thus, it is a Trojan horse, and it's a far lower barrier of entry than going through this tradi the uh, traditional way of immigrating, right? So while these people aren't sneaking across the border in your traditional way, the, the broadband, full-spectrum shotgun that is asylum essentially backdoors these people in. And the Democrats putting 4,000 new judges in there just is going to speed and expedite this process in, aka enabling a new mass migration. I was reading something in the bill that said you could, uh, under this new asylum, you'd get 77 people approved, you know, something per day. So you're still talking a lot of people coming into the country uh, massively, and it's only going to get worse from there because once you have a system in place that now is processing asylum seekers at a high rate, guess what's going to happen? Just like with everything else, when the border you know, restrictions were dropped, when the Remain in Mexico stuff was dropped and the welfare state was encouraged and built upon, as I talked about, you know, places like California where I live, giving you free college, giving you credit card or get, giving you debit cards, shipping you to new places, giving you housing, giving you food, giving all these other things. And then trying to get you pathways to citizenship. Well, of course, you're going to have the incentives in place there for mass migration. When you have the same thing done for asylum as was done for basic border security, what do you think is going to happen? Now, your number of asylum seekers is going to quadruple. Now, you've got the exact same situation on the border, except it's for asylum. It's not just for mass migration in general. Thus, it's a win for Democrats. Republicans have acknowledged that they're seeing what's happened in Europe with these asylum seekers. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to be a stand up against it or not. I don't know if you can get enough Democrats to stand up against it or not, but make no bones about it. This is just one more backdoor way to get these people into the country. And as I talked about before, Democrats need to get foreign votes in because their own voter base has basically stopped having children. <laughs> so it's indoctrinate or import. Um, okay. So. Anyway, just at the top of the show. Another thing I want to talk about while we talk about these uh, these uber leftists is something that I thought was pretty fascinating. And it is this poll that came out about the Ivy League and their views on freedom. Now, it's shocking and disturbing. Like, we already knew that people that are going to the Ivy Leagues, for the most part, are children of nepotism, are people that have been, uh, they're either children of nepotism that are already within the super elite uh, political classes, be they left or right, I think far more left than right at this point in time. But either, either way, when you're in that kind of class, you are in a separate, different uh, society than the rest of us. You operate on a different standard than the rest of us. You are treated differently. You live differently. The rules do not apply to you. So that's a general concept of what the everyday person would consider freedom probably does not carry over into what they would deem as, uh, as something that the population deserves or knows how to use, right? So they had a poll conducted by Scott Rasmussen and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity talking about Ivy Leaguers and their freedom. Now, within this poll, let me see, let me see how this poll like for the PDF versus the news story I'm reading. They got them versus us. Pretty interesting. Yeah, this is too, too low res, too tiny. Graph. I'm just going to go from uh, this is from OutKick. 
So 55% of Ivy League graduates believe America has, quote, too much freedom compared to 15% who think there's too much control from government. Now, that's a pretty shocking stat, um, considering the fact that these people, as you know, or at least previously, were being groomed to take over our elite institutions. I did a whole show on the fact that the elite institutions have lost their luster, but that doesn't mean that these people still aren't being groomed to take over those positions. So you're talking about people in high academia. You're talking about people high in government, high in think tanks, high within uh, NGOs. That's what they're being groomed to do, right? The WEF uh, is grooming these people to take over. So how does that compare to the rest of America? Because this is the, the real shocking point. They are so far removed from the rest of the American thinking that 16% of regular voters believe there's too much freedom in America. So this is, again, completely reversed. 50% or 57% of voters think there's not enough freedom. You have a complete inverse of those results. The Ivy Leaguers being groomed for success are completely out of touch with basic American philosophy to the point where it is completely reversed how they feel about the country and how they feel about freedom. A terrifying prospect when you realize these people are going to end up making the next, you know, COVID restriction response plan. They're going to be the ones that wanted to take away your freedom to lock you in your houses and make sure that you have to comply. These are the people that are going to be working for uh, the, you know, the treasury when they try to put out the centrally backed digital currencies, which of course is a measure of control. These are the people that are going to be working to have your social credit score involved so they can control where you go, what you can spend your money on, where you're accessible to, whether or not you can get your passport to leave the country uh, and all those other good things. They believe that you do, that you have too much freedom as opposed to the rest of the population. So when you think about i'm trying to see if there's any more good stats in here now they'll use the one there were many more in this and i just can't this pdf is so small let me try to zoom in it's annoying and no it's not because i'm losing my uh my vision here it's just very very tiny text so they also oh here's the other one i want to talk about they also believe in rationing because i'm talking about especially we're talking cbdc's CBDCs are completely designed to enable the government to ration you and what you spend your money on, not necessarily because of need. No, because of things like climate. I've talked about how the elites like Prince Charles have used climate and said, we are in a war against climate. This is one of the things I mentioned when I was on uh, the show with Robbie Bernstein. Climate, if we're in a war against it, right? Well, what does that mean? If you're in a war, Your government now nationalizes industries, right? Because we're in a war. If you're in a war, you're allowed to ration industries. You're allowed to reallocate resources. You're allowed to tell people they need to go to work in a certain industry or they cannot access or use certain resources, natural or man-made, a.k.a. fuel sources, right? Because we're in a war against climate, guys. If we lose it, it's the end of our society. So you're not allowed to buy gasoline for your car anymore or you're severely rationed. Let's say, you know, 15-minute city style. You can only have enough gasoline to go to five miles away and back. So 77% of the elites, including 90% of those from top universities, favor rationing of energy, gas, and meat to combat climate change. 63% of all Americans oppose this policy. Now let's go to climate change. 
Two-thirds of the elites, 70%, said they would pay 500 or more each year in taxes and higher costs to reduce climate change, while nearly as many average Americans, 72%, said they would be willing to pay 100 or less per year. I'll tell you what I'm willing to pay, $0. $0 is what I'm willing to pay to combat climate change because, frankly, climate change has been played up. Uh, climate change is something that, if real, I still believe is uh, infinitesimally small as far as the impact man has on it. And I know that we are right now between two glacial periods. And this has got to be the pattern throughout you know, the existence of the earth. And should we have climate change, I fully believe in the ability of humanity to find a solution to it, be it some sort of carbon capture, be it private industries revolutionizing the way in which we uh, export carbon. And I also acknowledge the fact that we had higher carbon rates. I'm sorry, we had higher temperatures and then higher carbon rates. Anyway, getting off on a tangent. So you can see where these things are going. Now, the good news is, as I mentioned in the previous show, COVID combined with the, I think, climate fatigue, because globally you're seeing fatigue over these climate matters, which are attacking people's basic ability to create food. This is why we have the farmer protests, their basic ability to travel, aka high cost of gas because of regulatory environments like we have in California and other states where we have, uh, you know, what used to be an America that was completely uh, clearly fuel independent because of things like fracking be now just completely against our domestic fuel creation through to just the basic failures of wind farms of, uh, you know, seeing massive landfills full of turbine turbine, you know, and the, and the, uh, the giant fan blades that fall off to whales dying in the middle of the ocean because of running into wind turbines, because there's offsetting the way in which they communicate and they navigate. People are seeing how ridiculous this is, the impact it's having on the world where we're not seeing any tangible benefit. And they're losing faith in the ability of these people to lead. So we may be in a world wherein this poll showcases exactly why these people don't matter anymore. And that's a beautiful thing because we don't need places like Harvard. We don't need elite universities wherein we put all the people, all this, you know, in theory, it always sounds so good, right? We're going to put all the smartest people in one place. All that does to me which is similar to I'm talking about how you know, the promise of the free market, the promise of libertarianism, the promise of a, an open society is that you have a diversification of risk. If you're putting all of your eggs in one basket, I mean, look, there's a reason the president and vice president don't fly in the same plane. You're putting all your eggs in these little baskets. And if those little baskets go rotten, as we've seen is happening currently and concurrently across all of the elite institutions, all the rot has spread and it's spread to the roots. Now, because you haven't diversified your risk, because we've put all of our eggs in these baskets, well, it looks like either we're fucked or they're fucked, hopefully not both. Now, the bright side is that decentralization of academics, decentralization of thought, decentralization of conversation, decentralization of media, decentralization of information gathering has enabled us to get around these not only institutions of elite thought, but guardianships to what is acceptable discourse and acceptable information to be shared. So we're seeing them break apart, them collapse on themselves, but be too stupid to know it. Which makes you question if these places are full of the smartest, most elite sophisticants that we have as a society, why are they too fucking stupid 
to see their own demise and what led to it. And in fact, you can ask that question of America in general. I was just reading Max Borders, and uh, who I highly recommend, um, Underthrow is his newsletter. I'm going to have him back on the show soon as well. Talk about the new constitution. He did a contest about a constitution. I had him on the show before, but also to talk about this, oh shit, this breaking down of empire, right? And where we are and the final stages of the breakdown of empire, because it's, it follows the same basic pattern and we are at the end of it. And the elites that have been groomed in these universities, the same elites that want to take away all of your freedom, the same elites that don't understand that a welfare state cannot exist uh, without taking away basic freedoms and removing what made your country great in the first place and exchanging that for uh, you know bread and circuses, paying off the population uh, right before the decline and collapse of that society is happening. Those same elites came out of these universities and are too fucking stupid to see what's happening. They're too dumb to see what's happening to the country or they are well aware of it and they're trying to milk every last ounce out before the collapse. I'm not sure which it is, if I'm perfectly honest. I think the milking just goes on so consistently, they really have no concept of where we are. Otherwise, you'd think just for the, you know, kind of like a, a virus. This is what amazing is amazing about politicians, right? Unlike a basic virus, like, <laughs> like a COVID, which tries not to kill the host, politicians don't do that. Politicians seemed hell-bent on killing the host. They're not even as smart as a virus. Politicians, not even as smart as a fucking virus. That's the next t-shirt we're going to have at Lions of Liberty. Because they still try to kill the host. They don't weaken their impact. They don't try to fade off into the background. Let the host operate as well as, it's, as, well as it possibly can while still living. No, these fuckers want to take the whole thing down and get as much out of it as they can. Just crazy. Okay. Moving on. Next topic. We kind of blow through them here. Um, Super Bowl is coming up. I uh, I can't tell you how much I hate the Super Bowl as it exists right now. I mean, look, in general, like I'm an Eagles fan. I watched last year's Super Bowl. I can't say I was that thrilled with the, the show around it. I can't say I'm ever thrilled with the jingoism, with the nationalism, with the uh, the military being such a prominent piece. But I guess that's just what happens when the NFL says, well, the military is giving us $200 billion to do this. We're just going to do it. Just like the NFL decided, hey, you know what? Fuck the fan bases out there. We're going to put everything on pay-per-view, you know, like with NBC Peacock, for example. And probably... Next year, within the next two years, you're going to see half those games all be on pay-per-view, especially playoff games. It's going to happen because they're just going to pay them way too much to do it. But the Super Bowl this year has so much hatred behind it for me. And I know some of you out there are Niners fans. Some of you are KC fans. Good for you. Your teams both fucking can kiss my ass. I hate them both. I hate Patrick Mahomes. I hate Travis Kelsey uh, and his Pfizer left-wing bullshit endorsing commercials. I hate Taylor Swift who, of course, is tweeting out, get the vote out, you know, which is just a secret phrase for vote for Biden, right? Because the the dumber the electorate, the more broad a pop-based female electorate is, they're going to be voting for Democrats, right? You don't have to say it out loud. They're going to be voting for Democrats, especially after Roe versus Wade. So fuck them both. You know, I, I hate Taylor Swift so much. Like the fact that the Super Bowl is going to highlight two assholes and Taylor Swift and they're going to be cutting to her nonstop drives me up the wall. It drives me insane. I don't want to watch it. And the other side, you've got the San Francisco 49ers who are a team just of whining assholes who I also 
absolutely hate from a city that I don't enjoy because of its left wing homeless garbage created Gavin Newsom, you know, like the hotbed of the worst liberal progressive horseshit thinking in the country has a representative in the Super Bowl. I hate everything about it. And I think that the majority of the country that watches the football, you know, the NFL is in the sim boat. Like I, I, I've never thought of a football game on this scale and I'm a big NFL fan. I have never thought of a game in the Super Bowl that I have wanted to see less in my life. Even when it was the third Dallas Cowboys, Buffalo Bills face-off, right? I, I still enjoyed that. I still look forward to it. There was a narrative there I could get behind. What's the narrative for the Super Bowl this year? Come watch stupid shit Taylor Swift dance in a box. Come watch Patrick Mahomes whine. Come watch Pfizer commercials with Kelsey. Or, or do you want to see the assholes of San Francisco go out there and, uh, and somehow pretend like America supports them and anything they stand for? I just, what's to like? I don't even know who's performing at halftime. I have no idea of anything, any of the specifics around it. I don't think I'm going to watch. I legitimately think I'm going to turn on in another room in my house. I Maybe I'll go to a party and try not to watch. If I don't, I'm going to put it on in another room. I'm going to be with my kids, and I'll maybe look to check the score once in a while to see if any of the polls I'm in hit. That's how shitty this Super Bowl is and how obnoxious everyone involved in it is. And I don't believe there's conspiracy to put them in here, especially not San Francisco. I think the league knows that people don't like the, the, the Niners. I do believe that there could be a conspiracy to get the Chiefs in there because of the Taylor Swift thing. Not because they're working with the Democrats, but just because of the ratings, because the NFL wants to get that female base in and they know that they're more likely to watch, especially now. Women are more likely to watch this Super Bowl and younger women are more likely to watch this Super Bowl than any other Super Bowl probably in history because of Taylor Swift's involvement. Meanwhile, I just sit here hoping for injuries. And I mean, on and off the field. I mean, if Taylor Swift ate a bad, bad crab leg and it got stuck in her throat, please, from my lips to your ears, God, make it happen. I want to see her choking on live TV. Give her the Heimlich. Somebody give her the Heimlich from behind. I'm not saying she has to die. I'm just saying take her larynx out. Okay. Last thing I want to talk about here. Then we'll wrap this show up. Um, Cause I am still, uh, still a little bit sore and, and tired here, but the White House, and this came out from, I get Alex Berenson's Substack, and this is the first I've heard about this, but we all know about the level of censorship the White House under Joe Biden undertook to combat, quote unquote, COVID, to combat disinformation and misinformation on whatever you really wanted. It started off being an organization that focused on election integrity, right? And it was, uh, the original one was like the election, you know, the election integrity something or something. I did, I did an episode on this a couple months ago. That spawned the Stanford Internet Observatory, which, of course, is one of the government-affiliated, a.k.a. lapdog organizations working to censor, along with social media companies, anybody and everybody that went again the main, against the mainstream narrative involving COVID, involving election integrity, that dared to question mail-in balloting, that dared to question vaccines, that dared to question where the COVID virus came from, and even through to just making jokes about things, right? Um that spawned all of these nefarious fact checker social media tattling programs. 
But at the same time, there was also a, a work being done. And let me pull up Berenson's thing here so I can reference it distinctly. Andy Slavitt. So Andy Slavitt, who had formerly had formerly worked for a uh, a company that uh, I think was fairly shady, but it's not in here. So Andy Slavitt, he was working within, uh, this is in 2021, to suppress reporting that raised doubts about the safety or efficacy of COVID vaccines. Now, particularly in Berenson's case here, he had tried to ban the release of a pamphlet that Berenson had put out, which had highlighted this. It was uh, the first unreported truths booklet it got national attention after Amazon refused to publish it. Now, that was reversed because he had protested it. Uh, Elon Musk drew attention to it. But there have now been emails that are released showcasing Slavit saying three titles in those booklet series had uh, had to be removed, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. I got that wrong. Sorry. He's saying... At the time, Slavitt sent his email to Amazon demanding that they combat disinformation. Three titles of that booklet series had sold hundreds of thousands of copies on Amazon. Nine months before that, the first booklet had gotten that that attention drawn because Amazon refused to publish it. So the White House has been working essentially to combat disinformation. This guy, Andy Slavitt, has been working and saying, look, what are we going to do about this? Because Amazon is the largest book publisher on the planet, essentially. They, you know, we're not talking about just necessarily print copies of books, but obviously Kindle books, um, you know, any copy of book to download on a reader. And you think about this, it cracked me up because the Democrats always are accusing Republicans of book banning, right? Especially in Florida and Texas, they're saying, well, you're, you're talking about banning books. You're burning books, guys, because you're saying that four-year-olds, you know, elementary school libraries shouldn't carry books that have graphic pornographic images in them. You know, like how to give a blowjob or eat an asshole out. Things that I would agree with as a parent. I don't need my children coming across that. That can be saved for a little bit later on in life. But they're saying you're banning books. And yet at the very same time, you have the Biden White House working to go to Amazon and say these books should be removed from stores. Now, granted, they've also places like Costco, places like Target have removed conservative literature or COVID critical literature. So this probably goes beyond beyond simply Amazon. But the fact that you can so hypocritically say you're banning books in elementary schools, taking a copy of a pornographic book out uh, because it's not not really something that's appropriate and trying to at the same time ban entire public, you know, entire populations essentially from accessing book titles because most people simply will go to an Amazon or if they go to a Target, it's not going to be on the shelves. If they go to a Walmart, it's on the shelves. By saying, we're going to remove this because it doesn't go along with a government narrative that we have proclaimed loudly. And of course, which is false and which they knew at least half of the time was completely, completely false. What their narrative was and still demand that people have informational books removed. That's just next level shit. And yet, before parents have pointed this out, nobody's talking about it. And I doubt many people will. I mean, the, this is, again, to go back to my point earlier, this is why I think people are, are starting to wake up, though. This is why people are slowly coming around to 
the condemnation that these elite classes have for free and open dialogue, free and open ideas, how they have to control what's going on because they sense that it's being lost. You know, I've compared it to, uh, to Xi Jinping over in China, everything he had started to do, you know, eliminating people's ability to chat freely, to dialogue, like cracking down on social media websites, cracking down on WhatsApp, which was an open platform, not WhatsApp, uh, God, what's it called? We we chat? Yeah, we chat. Cracking down on that. And now you have to have a Chinese person. And I know this from, from working with Chinese companies. You have to have a Chinese person because they want to talk on that as, you know, this is the way we, we communicate if you want to have real life, real-time dialogue with us when you're working on a campaign or a project. A Chinese national has to now approve you to use that app. Even if you were previously approved and already using it, you have to be essentially like going into the dorms to get your cafeteria. You have to be scanned into the dorms. If you want to eat the captain crunch, you captain crunch. So that's one example. But the one that really, I think shocked me was China had so many young people that were using video games and it was an obsession. He saw that he's losing the grip on the national dialogue as China was kind of imploding, as their economy is slowing down, as people are getting more angry about the the authoritarian measures. And of course, as he's basically seizing a dictatorship, right, because he's either bumped off or jailed uh, political opposition. And of course, he's jailed prominently like people like Jack Ma, some of China's biggest industrial leaders. So. At the same time, he's cracking down on these social media programs. He also decides that we're going to limit the video games that the young people can access to like two hours a week. Now, he said this was to create more uh, work ethic, that they were lazy and the, you know distracted and we need people out there working. But really what it was, at least per my theory, was that in modern day video games, you are on with a voice chat or a dialogue chat. And that was now where people were having free and open dialogue. You'd log on to StarCraft or whatever, the you know, League of Legends, and now you're able to talk to people unrestricted where the government's not monitoring it and probably can't monitor it because these are private networks that the video game companies have that they're not going to give China direct access to to monitor. So, it has to be eliminated. But Xi Jinping at least is taking the steps to to try to remedy the ship. I'm not saying they're good steps. I'm saying he knows his empire is crumbling and you can see what he's doing to try to grasp for control. It's not going to work. It's only going to double down on what people feel there. And it's going to hasten the collapse of that communist regime, at least in my opinion. So it's going to get more and more authoritarian and then I think it's going to collapse on itself and you're going to see a new revolution. In the United States, something similar is happening. They people know they're losing control. But as I was saying earlier, they they couldn't spot was leading to their demise. Just like Xi Jinping, they're, if they've spotted it, they don't know how to fix it because they're doubling down on what's leading to its destruction, right? Tripling down on welfare spending, on bringing in these immigrant voters, on authoritarianism, on censorship. It's only making things worse. It's only hastening our demise. And they're either too stupid to see it or they're trying to get as much out of it as they can uh, and they remain in power an extra 10 years, but leading to the demise of the country. And abandoning what it was. So interesting to see uh, one more example, a drop in the bucket of just how evil government is, just how despicable they are in regards to propagandization, into censorship, um, into denying you your ability to understand your reality, right? Because that's what this all 
circulates around. You need to be able to understand the world you're living in, the causes and effects of what's happening in your world. And the government willfully denies you that at every possible turn. All right, guys, thanks for joining me. That's going to wrap it up for the show today. I got to post this on the old podcast feed. Five o'clock show coming on the podcast feeds, but whatever. People can listen to it tomorrow. Uh, if you want to support what we do here, please go to patreon.com forward slash lines of liberty. We do our bonus shows there. Uh, you know, got our morning, my morning rant show. Secret Slides and Cover-Ups, and some other bonus material that we're going to be rolling out soon. Uh, don't forget, you can support us on Locals as well, lionsofliberty.locals.com. And of course, if you want to buy a t-shirt, all that good stuff, we do have a website with that. Um, so there you have it. And if, you, if you're too cheap to do any of that stuff, guys, just hit that like button on YouTube, on Rumble, hit subscribe, because we are shadow banned to all fuck everywhere so please you have to hit subscribe otherwise you will not see our content especially on youtube and if you don't mind write a nice review write a nice review oh and first episode podcast tonight guys we're going to be doing our fourth episode alf and the season uh, premiere of the new bachelor mocking that female friendly uh shit fest but of course you can't miss out on alf and with special guest mark claire the old boy from lions liberty is going to be returning to help us look at those shows at first episode podcast go subscribe to that we're doing a live feed tonight wednesday at 9 p.m eastern all right thank you guys take it easy from me brian mcwilliams from the lions of liberty and from me and age daydream keep that electric keep those let's fuck this up fuck up my own tagline keep those electric eyes on me babe and keep that rig into my head